Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy, author of Epic Fantasy Romance. I'm here with my first cup of coffee. It's actually my second cup of coffee. I have had a morning, people. Ah, I will tell you that today is, just say it with me, Friday, woo, which is good and bad. Um, <laughs> I can't believe it's already Friday, August 26th. And uh, if you're on video, you'll see that I'm recording inside. I recorded one podcast already outside in the Grape Arbor, and it was a really good podcast. I mean, I, I feel like I can say that now because, um, well, I feel like I can say it because uh, it's gone. It's lost forever. Um, I kept getting these weird alerts as I was talking, and they were annoying. <laughs> so, so this morning, uh, yeah, it, I don't know why. I kept getting these alerts. They were annoying me. Apparently, the alerts meant that, um, I don't know, that my part of the podcast wasn't recording. And since I'm the only part of the podcast, I don't know. It's I mentioned yesterday that Zencaster totally changed their thing while I was gone, and um, now it's messed up. Charming. So I'm re-recording. Uh, here it is, 10 in the morning. Normally, I'd like to have my podcast totally done, uploaded before 9, and have an hour of writing done by now. And here I am recording my podcast. I was trying all the recover backup things on it and uh, had spent like an hour. And finally, I thought, well, better to just re-record. So the lost podcast, uh, <laughs> I felt like I said some really good stuff. All right. Anyway, I'm trying to let that go, move on with my life. Um, I am going down to uh, Bubonicon this afternoon, going to Albuquerque. So... Um, <laughs> I'm on a timeline, and so, so I'm basically screwed. I'm also really fussing with this camera. That is the exciting news um, that my aunt for my birthday gave me this new webcam. And so I only use it when I'm inside. I tried using it outside yesterday and spent way too much time getting that to work. Um, technology. So this is on my monitor now so so it's a lot better and it's pretty isn't it if you're on video it's pretty so anyway um i wanted to address some things <sighs> hopefully i'll talk about them well so uh add-ons to yesterday i appreciated the many comments i got um there were some wonderful insights and uh glad that my rambling uh, made some sense So, um, continuations from yesterday. I realized that I'd never explicitly answered um, or finished a thought, I suppose I should say, on Toxic Crit, uh, because I do get asked that a lot when I'm mentoring or doing author coaching, and the it, it's hard to know uh, when critique is harsh versus when it's toxic. 
So, and, and the answer is probably not a perfect one because the answer is, is that you just have to know, <laughs> you have to sense it. And I will explain. So the thing to keep in mind is that when people give critiques, they are not always, um, they don't always have your best interests at heart. Uh, people are jealous. People are competitive. Uh, people also have lots of their own shit going on in their heads that lead them to uh, vent that shit in um, ways that are not great for you. Some people don't have that going on, but you don't really know. So with a critique, uh, the rule of thumb still applies for this, that you give it 24 hours or 48 hours or a week uh, to, to sit and to let your own emotions attach, uh, detach from the thing. Once your emotions have detached, then you can come back and look at it and you can see, are these my feelings or are they coming from somewhere else? Because you are always, always, always going to have feelings. Oops. I'm going to sneeze. Hold on. You're always going to have your own feelings, uh, about critique. That's just, that's the way it goes. It's natural. Um, we all secretly hope that somebody will tell us that what we've written is perfect and transcendent. And if you've asked someone to give critique, they're always going to find something to tell you about it. And sometimes it's painful to hear and that's just natural. That's part of the process. But sometimes what they are telling you is not well meant. They don't have your best interests at heart. Um, their own poison has come out and leaked onto the page or uh, into their words. And, and it is quite literally toxic to your creativity. So that's the thing to keep in mind. Um, give that waiting time. And then if after the waiting time, you still feel Oh, okay. So now I'm paying attention to these alerts that are popping up and it's telling me it's having problems saving the local backup, which is new and irritating. And it's entirely possible I'll lose this podcast too. We, uh, one thing about this though, is once I stop it, I cannot come back and, uh, restart it. So. I'm just going to keep talking and we'll see what happens. So, um, okay. So keep in mind that as a creative, and we know that you're creative or you would not be listening to this particular podcast. I know a lot of readers listen to this too, for insights into the process, but if you're a writer, if you're a creative, you are, you have intuition, you have emotions and feelings. Um, otherwise you wouldn't be able to write the things you write. So you have to learn to trust those feelings and you have to learn to divide out your own feelings of, you know, things like, um, chemical imbalances, anxiety, uh, emotions that are coming from other places like dealing with family drama or things like that from what you are intuiting 
that's coming from the person giving you the critique. So not always easy, but this is part of being a human being, right? That we have to find ways to separate um, our real emotional responses from those that are coming from other sources, right? So, you know, like feeling fear and anxiety about may, may not mean that you need to fix a situation. It may mean that you have a chemical imbalance that needs addressing, or it may mean that you are anxious about this other situation. Um, and it's bleeding over into this thing, right? That's part of being human. So you separate these things, you learn to divide it out. So that's part of what the waiting period does is that lets you, um, separate your feelings on just receiving critique in general from your feelings about that specific critique. So then what you do is after that waiting period, you know, you clear your mind and wait till you're in a calm space. And then you take a look at whatever notes you might have on it. And this is what I did. I was in a crit group. I'd been unhappy for a number of months. I was never thrilled with the critique I was getting, but I thought, well, you know, I'm trying to move up to a new level. This I'm trying to learn a new thing, uh, working with different people. So I was really giving it the old college try, right? So I'd come back from a particularly disheartening session. I'd been working up a new book, uh, that I was going to go on submission with, with my agent. And I'd come away feeling really disheartened from this crit group session. So this is another sign. Um, ideally you should come away from crit sessions, feeling excited and feeling like, you know, what you're going to work on. That is like, Oh, okay. I have insight. I have inspiration. I have ideas. I'm going to go forward with this. If you come away feeling crushed, that's a clue. Um, that's a clue that, that something's gone wrong. So then what I did was I let that week go by. I looked again at the manuscript. Um, some people had printed it out and made notes. And I looked at my own notes that I had taken as they were talking. And as soon as I looked at the notes, particularly from a certain person, uh, I just felt bad. I felt that toxicity again. So that's how I knew. Uh, and I took those pages and I burned them, uh, which made me feel much better. And sometimes that's what you need to do as it seems dramatic, but you have to clear that shit out of your life and out of your creative process. Uh, and I also burned my own notes on it and separated myself, uh, you know, and then I went on to sell that particular book in a three book deal. So, you know, I feel like I, I trusted my own intuition and I trusted what I was trying to do. So that's that. That's how, you know, if crit is toxic, um, and in the end it comes down to, if you feel like it's toxic, if you feel like it's not benefiting you, then that is the truth. Uh, the only way that this can turn out badly, if you don't take people's crit is, uh, you run the risk of, of not becoming better. You run the risk of becoming someone like, and this usually happens to very advanced authors who begin to believe that they are the best thing ever, you know, like, um, 
you know, seeing an interview with Anne Rice once where she, you know, said, well, believe me, no one edits me. And she was hugely successful. I mean, she was making tons of money, but arguably her books needed to be edited at that point in time. And, you know, maybe she didn't feel that way. I mean, obviously she didn't feel that way. Maybe she was happy with the level of success that she had, you know, who am I to say she should have had those books edited. That's, that's the only risk you run, you know, otherwise it's, if you decide that you're not going to take critique from someone, you don't have to <laughs> trust yourself. It's, it's your book. It's your creative process. Um, the other caveat I would throw in there is people who, uh, self-published books that aren't ready to be self-published. Um, you know, if you don't listen to the feedback you're getting, you run the risk of putting out a book that's not ready, but you have to sort those things out for yourself. Um, you are the one who will care most about your work always, always ever. So another point that someone made, and I've forgotten your name, so apologies, but, um, someone commented that it makes a big difference if it's drafting versus revision. And this is absolutely true. Uh, and one of the things that prompted yesterday's podcast, um, SL Huang's, uh, essay on tour.com about writing workshops, uh, particularly science fiction and fantasy writing workshops. A lot of times what they're doing is they are working at a drafting level and bringing those ideas to the group and workshopping them. And yes, critique at that level is very, very different than if you are doing critique of a fully, um, complete work that you are now at the revising process for some people that, um, pressure of the critique workshop works really well. Uh, yesterday I referenced Mary Robinette Kowal, uh, who I happen to know that her process is very much crowdsourced. She works with a group of people who read as she writes and she retools as she goes. Um, Andy Weir wrote the Martian that way too. Some people love that collaborative process and Mary Robinette comes out of a theater background. And so she's very used to a collaborative process and that really works well for her. Uh, and she had commented that, you know, like after, a clary, I don't know if it was Clarion, but after a workshop like that, that she had not written for a couple of years and it was because she was absorbing. Um, to me, that's, I don't know. I think that's a sign that your creative process got a little crushed, but you know, I can't speak to, you know, she's very happy with her results and she's doing well. So, you know, own your process, right? It's different for everyone. The thing is for many of us, including yours truly, the drafting process is a very fragile place to be and it is easily damaged. So if you are doing a workshop like Clarion or Tao's toolbox or something else where you are drafting and you are involving people in the process very early on, that can be, can be difficult and note that with that kind of intensive workshopping, you are also not getting that 24 hours, 48 hours, one week of buffer to come back and evaluate. Instead, you're coming back day after day after day and getting crit from those same people. So the toxicity can build up. 
uh, and so my favorite analogy for this, uh, which is um, content warning here, I, I call it shaken baby syndrome. So if you don't want to go with that analogy, if that's upsetting for you, tap out now. But I find it a really useful metaphor because when you have a new draft, when you have a new story, it is like an infant. It's um, brand new to the world. It is fragile. Uh, it's also very easy to love your new baby. Uh, and it, it's a wonderful stage of the process because you have this infant. You can hold all of it in your arms. You can hold it close and cradle it. And it needs you and, and you need it. And then there's this pure and perfect love between you and the new baby, the new baby idea. But the new baby is also helpless. Uh, it is not able to feed itself. Its bones aren't formed yet. It can't walk. It can't grasp things on its own. Um, even its, its little skull, the bones aren't hardened yet to protect its tiny brain. Uh, it's a vulnerable little baby, right? And it needs lots of nurturing. And this is what we do with the new story ideas. We cradle it and we hold it and we feed it and we we daydream with it, it naps and we nap a little bit with it. And it's, it's a very important part of that initial idea, right? Uh, later as that story grows up and develops legs and is able to go out and like do things on its own, uh, it, it's tougher, right? Your, your children grow up. So you want to think in terms of who do you trust with your infant baby idea, right? So if you take that infant and you hand it to someone who is the equivalent of a college admissions person, whose job it is to decide whether or not that baby is ready for college, and you hand them this little infant, they're going to take that child and they're going to hold it up and they're going to shake it. You know, blah, 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 blah. that's where shaking baby comes in. Uh, I know it's gross, but it scrambles the idea, right? And also they start demanding all sorts of questions, right? They, they want to know, they ask this baby, you know, well, what about this, you know, and how do you know about, what do you know about calculus? And, you know, like what sort of public service have you done? And of course it's an infant. It can't answer. It's not ready yet. And when they hand the idea back to you and they say, well, this isn't any good. It's not ready for college. It's, you know, can't talk, can't walk. I mean, I'm it, it dribbled. Uh, it, it's not good enough. Well, of course it's not good enough. It's not ready for college yet. It's not ready to put through that level of examination. And when you get this baby back, it might be irreparably damaged. And what do you do then? So what you want to do with your infant baby ideas is you want to think in terms of who do you trust to hold your baby? Uh, you want someone who loves you and by extension loves your idea. Uh, you want someone that you can trust to take it and nurture it. You want the fairy godmother for your infant idea, right? You want the fairy godmother who will take it and give it magic, who will give it ideas and say, oh, I think this child will be a genius. I think that this child is going to grow up 
to bring love and light to the world. And let me give it my blessings. Let me give it what it needs to grow up. These are the people that you want to share your brand new ideas with. And if you don't do that, you run the risk, right? So this is my extended analogy on, um, you know, who do you involve in your critique process at what point, you know, later after your baby has grown up and it's a teenager and it has become insolent and <laughs> difficult to deal with, uh, that's when you send it off for the college admissions interviews. And when it comes back, you're like, okay, so you've got to go back to summer school or, you know, you need to improve your, uh, physical conditioning, whatever. Let me, let me help you with this so that eventually your child, your book, your story can graduate from college and go into the world and deal with the slings and arrows, arrows of professional life. So on that note, I'm going to try to recover what I can of my morning, try to get something done before I head down to Bubonicon. If you're going to be there, say hello. And otherwise, I will talk to you all on Monday. You all take care. Bye-bye.